It's Disneyland. Greetings, fellow citizens of Disneyland. Bricky here. Wow. We are on, uh, not Christmas Eve, not New Year's Eve. We are on Disneyland Ticket Eve. Tomorrow, the anxiety begins. Well, actually, the anxiety began months ago, but it's been building week by week, day by day. And tomorrow at 8 a.m. is the moment when so many of us that didn't have old tickets from before the Thanos Disneyland snap can log on to Disneyland.com, purchase tickets, then attempt to get reservations for the dates that we want. Don't get me started on that system. I do not understand why it's not like buying movie tickets where you just simply say, this is the day that I would like to go. Is there a seat available for the showing that I want? And then you purchase your ticket. Just that easy. That's the way nearly every entertainment reservation works. Disney going in different. You buy tickets, then you hope to be able to get a reservation. And, and my thought process is this. What if you're to buy a five-day ticket, right? A, a five-day ticket. Whenever that first ticket gets scanned, you now have 13 days to finish out those five visits. Can they guarantee you that you can get four more reservations in that window? Like, I'm just so baffled because if it was the other way around. You would only be able to buy a five-day ticket inside of a window that actually had reservations. So, I don't know. Maybe it's a scam to make more money. I, I try not to think there. I try not to be that type of Disneyland content provider. But it is definitely very curious going in the ticket first, reservation later because the entire entertainment industry, for the most part, I'll say 90%, there might be an exception somewhere. You make a reservation and then you purchase everything once you know you have your reservation. But I do know this. I may not know what they're up to, but this is what I do know. That tomorrow over at club1313.com in our Discord, we are all going to be hanging out and buying our tickets together. And friends, if I could sell you joining the club in any way, it is the community that it has evolved and become into. I, I am uh, blown away at what it has turned into. And I can only tell you that when the Touch of Disney tickets went on sale, that was a very, very wild ride. And we did it together, knowing where other people's web browsers are crashing, where other folks' wait time is, uh, having a friend that gets in there before you and gets to tell you, okay, this is how it works. Be prepared. This is what's going on. I'm not trying to give you a hard sell. If you have the means, I'd love to have you over there. I know that these are weird times for everybody, but over at club1313.com, hanging out tomorrow, our community is going to be bumping. So I just want to tell all those folks, I'm excited to hang out with you tomorrow and try to buy my next sets of park tickets. I was fortunate enough on Monday to secure a ticket for the reopening of Disneyland on Friday, April 30th. So if you follow my YouTube channel, I'll be going live. But tomorrow, it's me and the club. Me and the gang, maybe it's the gang and I, who knows? I'm not going to worry about my grammar. Never have. Why start doing it now? But I just know this. We'll be having a good time together. So if you want to hang out and become a part of a rad Disneyland community, and oh, by the way, help support Disneyland for Designers showing up every Wednesday and YouTube videos from me Monday through Friday, the best way to do that is to join club1313.com. <laughs> When I started this podcast with Jared, I knew that I wanted to be singular in my focus. I wanted to go around the resort and talk about one land, one attraction, one concept at a time. Early on, Jared and I sort of plotted and planted, like, let's start with Main Street because it's sort of the, the best Disneyland story to tell, the most perfect land ever erected at Disneyland. 
But then we went over to an attraction. We went over to the 1955 classic Snow White. And then we went into the quiet spots of Disneyland, trying to just early on say, this is a podcast that will always have like, you know, a, a subject matter that is that week's deep dive. But then from there, we kind of go off into our fandom and just try to have a great Disney conversation that intelligent Disney fans will want to hang out with. But as the global pandemic began and I decided that I wanted to do this weekly and not monthly, I wanted this project to be one of the many ways that I kept not only my love for the park open, even though the park was closed, and to have an opportunity to take as many people as possible in the park with me every week, I decided to go weekly. And one of the ways of going weekly was to diversify the content, bring on lots of other different voices, bring on lots of other topics, sometimes get into the news, sometimes go back in time, sometimes look to the future. And when we had stuff to talk about, focus in on the present. And one of the things that I'm so honored to do is the series that is called Citizens of Disneyland. Because in my mind and in my heart and in my feelings, to me, Disneyland is so much more than the attractions. And I know a lot of other content creators, they just really focus in on the attractions. And God bless them if that's where their heart's at. And I know a lot of people go to the park and they just try to crush and rip as many rides as possible. Ricky, we rode 23 things today. Cool. Been here 12 hours. I think I've rode two things today. And that's fine. We all move at our own pace. But the biggest thing that I learned from last year, what the pandemic taught me about how I love this place, is it taught me that I love the people of Disneyland. And I'm not just talking about the characters or the cast members, those that are on the stage performing the magic for us, but the community of it, going there and seeing others get lost in the magic, seeing that family, seeing those senior citizens holding hands while they're rascaling around the back part of Matterhorn Mountain. That is what I realize that I love so much about it. And part of loving that community is trying to reach out and interview lots of different people that I've been lucky enough to meet that are my Disneyland buds. Like the last episode, Wild Prince, right? A a young man comes down from the Bay Area, son of immigrants that brought him to America to try to chase the American dream. And he found his version of it inside the berm of Disneyland, which would then take him to the other side of the world to be a Disneyland prince over in Japan as Disney Sea and uh, Tokyo Disneyland was evolving. Today's guest is our friend, Lynn Barron, who grew up in Southern California, went to the park often, but as a young adult would work there, then disappear, then show back up and do a long tenure as a janitor, (laughs) as a janitor, a custodial artist at Walt's original Magic Kingdom. And I think why this is so uh, fascinating to me is this is a job that in any other environment, people would probably be like, oh, there's the janitor. You know, this is one of those things that is a necessity. You know, we always complain when we go someplace in public and it's dirty, but then we also feel annoyed and turn our nose up at the people that do this hard work that doesn't get that much gratitude or appreciation. Being a janitor is one of those jobs where people really only notice when you're not properly doing your job, but when a place is the way that it's expected to be when you've shown up and you've performed, it often gets overlooked. 
Telling the story of being a Disneyland janitor has been Lynn's passion with his bud, Ken, over at the Sweep Spot podcast. When I first fell in love with Disneyland and I realized I needed more than just my park visits, I found the website Mice Chat, which I still love and will always appreciate Dusty Sage for putting it together for all of us. But they featured podcasts. I don't like a Disneyland podcast. What could that sound like? (laughs) And when I saw there was one themed around janitors talking about cleaning the kingdom, which also happens to be the name of the book that Lynn is an author of, I thought, wow, that is so niche. And so what I'm in love with is just getting it down to the tiniest, tiniest details. So today's episode is a Citizens of Disneyland episode. We're going to talk about Lynn's podcast. But most importantly, we're going to talk about his journey as a fan. How did he fall in love with the park? How does he keep the park alive when he's now living out of state and six and a half hours from Disneyland? The Citizens of Disneyland series is about introducing to you other people's fandom so that you can better understand and appreciate your own. I hope you enjoy this series. I'm having so much fun doing it, and I've been looking for some folks out there on the horizon, some truly outstanding citizens of Disneyland, and I'm hoping to have them on soon. And it's a great way to just look at the park from another perspective, from another set of eyes, so that maybe we can see our own reflection in that viewpoint. And my final thought is this, Walt prided himself on having his park not be like a carnival, not be like a circus, not be like a fair, but he wanted his park to be clean and immaculate and look like a perfect little city. Our guest today did that honor for over a decade. I can't think of a better thing that a citizen of Disneyland could do than to honor Walt's commitment to cleanliness. That is a job that many people in any other situation would maybe look over. But to me, the way that these cast members keep our park beautiful, perfect, and pristine, I tip my hat to you. It's Citizens of Disneyland on Disneyland for Designers. It's Lynn Barron of the Sweet Spot Podcast and the author of Cleaning the Kingdom. Lynn, welcome to the Disneyland for Designers. How are you, sir? Good. How are you doing, Mark? I'm doing great. Now, first off, you know, I got to thank you for your service. And and yeah. and and I hope that you don't blow my expectations because I, I have a little bit of a dream of getting into the custodial arts at Disneyland. But before we get into where you had a uh, dustpan and a dream, I need mm-hmm. to know where did your lifelong journey of being a Disneyland fan start? Because if I'm looking at it this way, uh, you're a grown man, former cast member. You and your partner have been doing a podcast, a Disneyland podcast, way, way before most people. You've recently celebrated over 300 episodes. So you're still telling the Disneyland story. A chapter of your life, you actually worked there as a cast member. All of that love has to come from someplace way, 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 way back when. When did you first fall in love with the park, sir? I grew up in Southern California and actually in Long Beach, California. Aha, where I'm at right <laughs> now, my man. I love that. I know. <laughs> um, actually, the city of Lakewood, but I, I always say Long Beach because most people know where that is. Yeah, but. nobody knows where Lakewood's at. Lakewood's like Long Beach North. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so... You know, I grew up, as you know, it's probably like 20-minute drive from that area. Yeah. Um, we used to go maybe once a year mm. as a as a family, my sister and I and, and my mom and dad. So uh, I think it, I think 
you know, obviously as a kid, you don't really know you love something. I mean, you enjoy it. Right. You enjoy going. But right. I think it was more as a teenager when I appreciated the what it was. Um, you could tell there was something different about Disneyland that wasn't at Knott's Berry Farm or Magic Mountain or any of those other parks. Yeah. And I think that's when it's when it really hit me. When you're a kid and you live out here and you know that Disneyland is a thing that's embedded in the middle of Anaheim and your family goes once a year, which is probably a pretty healthy amount of times to go. I've seen a lot of families where we go to Disneyland every Friday. And I'm like, wow, you're really ruining those kids' expectations for the rest of their life. But Lynn, work me through this. Did you dream about it? Did you think about it when you were driving on the five or, or, you know, going by it in the highway with your old man? Were you trying to look out the window and see it? I mean, living in Long Beach, buddy, you can hear the fireworks from here every night. I mean, where I live, going to Disney World was a once in a childhood dream. If you could hear the fireworks every night, I think that might drive me insane. <laughs> I, I think that, I mean, I had one of those wall maps, you know, this big giant. I don't sell them anymore, but one of those big giant wall maps. And I, and I had it above near my bed. And I remember just dreaming about the next time I would get to go and what I would want to ride on and which way would I walk? Oh, I love that. You know, <laughs> I, I'd always loved that. You know, the, the big theme park by where I grew up uh, in Kentucky was uh, it's, it, it was a six flags. I don't know if it still is, but back in the day it was called Kings Island and Kings mm-hmm. Island had really ripped off a lot from Disneyland as far as it's theming. And, you know, they had, it wasn't a main street USA, but you came into this thoroughfare, right. Of these buildings. And instead of doing the, the street, the whole way, they put a big fountain system in the middle and they made a, you know, a one third, one quarter scale uh, Eiffel tower. That was their castle, you know, their, the centerpiece of the park. Right. But, but what I really remembered about going there as a kid was going home with that theme park map and literally like making myself a little person the size of that map and then walking through it and then exploring it. And I think that somehow or another, that really planted the seed in my mind of how I love not necessarily the attractions. I don't really care about the movies. I love the layout of Disneyland. Like I love the emotional stroll that is walking through Disneyland. So when you're a young teen and you start, you know, running with your friends and people are getting licensed and, you know, one set of parents are dropping you off and another Mm -hmm. set of parents are picking you up and you're ripping magic mountain and, and, and Knott's Berry farms. Those are fun when you're at that age, right? The rides are exhilarating. Yeah. There's there's a lot of kids there, not a lot of parents. Those are fun. But when did it start to set into you like, man, Disneyland's kind of top tier and a little bit different than this experience? I'd say it was probably a little bit older. Uh, I got my first annual pass my senior year in high school. Yes, I love that. Which was like <laughs> 1980. Wow, this is going to age me. But it was like 1989 or something. And... Uh, yeah, my friend, my friend uh, John actually had a brother who was a Jungle Cruise skipper, and he was a couple years older than us. He was probably like twenty-one at the time. We were like seventeen. And guy sounds like a real jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you know my feeling on the Jungle Cruise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, he, it was cool because um, he would. We would just go with him to work. You know, when he went to work, we would just ride with him, and then we'd just go through the front gate. And he'd take off through the employee entrance cast member. And, uh, and we'd see him at the end of the night, we'd meet him out by his truck at, you know, 1230 or one and we'd go home. Oh, that's amazing. So, okay. This is, this is my next thought here is yeah. that, you know, I grew up thinking of Disneyland, Disney world, once in a life vacation mm-hmm. or once in a year, once in every three or five year vacation. So when you go there, 
your training that's all about, you know, crush rides. Like, you know, what, how can we get the most in? Because that time is so precious. You're there one day and then it's all gone and it just becomes memories. But when you got your friend's older brother dropping you off and signing you in, I feel like there's a part of your mind that gets to open up this creativity, right? Like, Hey, we've Mm -hmm. already done the park straight so many times today. Let's just ride the train all day. Like what were some of the like side adventures that you guys got into? Because you found yourself, Lynn, having unlimited Disneyland. And that's when the creativity fully opens up. Well, there was Videopolis back then. Oh man. (laughs) That at the eighties night blew me away. That was so cool. I wish I'd been able to go. Yeah. So we had Videopolis and you know, we were trying to pick up on girls. Hey, you want to go on the Matterhorn? <laughs> That's so great. I love that. <laughs> so I don't think I was at that point was really like becoming a Disneyland lover as much as becoming a girl lover. <laughs> I understand that. I understand yeah. that. Hey, I mean, not for nothing. One of my earlier thoughts was like, you know, I just want a girlfriend to go to like a carnival or a fair or a mm-hmm. theme park with. Like I, I thought a, a younger man, I thought that was like peak romantic date you know like holding hands and walking through a theme park and riding rides together and having snacks and catching a firework show like hey man (laughs) sounds good to me i'm listening to this story i'm loving it yeah exactly but i think it was a little bit later um when i started so i would actually go right to when i my first time so i worked at disneyland twice okay and two different roles and that would lead me right up to 1991 when i became a cast member at the Plaza Complex, and at that time it was the Plaza Inn, Plaza Pavilion, which is where that Jolly um, Holiday Bakery is. Yeah, it used to be a um, Plaza Pavilion was like an Italian restaurant. They had like spaghetti and stuff there. Yeah, and so I was a busboy, so I did the Plaza Plaza Pavilion, Plaza Inn, the In Between, which you've heard of mm-hmm. for cast members, and uh, we just rotate through that, and I'd bus that, and I'd say that. That's when I started to, because I would go on my days off and, or when I got off work and just go walk around just explore. by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I've, I've seen more movies by myself than I've seen with other people. But mm-hmm. that being said, like the first couple of times you go to the movies by yourself, you, you kind of got to mentally get in there. Yeah. Learning how to Disneyland by yourself is a very similar thing. And, and I've, I've <laughs> talked about this before. If I was there with a group of friends. And I said, I don't ride the Incredicoaster. Somebody asked me the other day on YouTube, like, why don't you ride a Bricky? Are you afraid of it? I'm like, no, I'm not afraid of it. I've rode it twice, you creep. It makes me sick <laughs> to my stomach, and I don't feel like throwing up at Disneyland. Same uh, here. But, you know, let's say my my buds are riding the Incredicoaster, and I'm going to go try to get, you know, fast passes for Guardian or whatever back in the old paper fast pass days. I don't feel weird walking by the park through myself if I'm going to get fast passes and I had to tell myself, why do you feel weird if you're here by yourself? Cause when I first started becoming an artist for the Wonderground gallery, I needed to go into the park and do research photos. And I didn't want to go with a friend. I didn't want to take my wife. I wanted to be on my own timetable so I could get the exact photos, the exact angles so that I could sit in the park and sort of sketch and put it all together in my mind. And I started to train myself how to go to Disneyland solo. That being said, a middle-aged man going to Disneyland by yourself, there's a little bit of like self-esteem you got to build up because like i don't want people to think i'm a creep (laughs) (laughs) i hear you so what i was gonna say is that that at that point i was first introduced to backstage disneyland and and i had a lead in my training my first day took me uh underneath pirates of caribbean and showed me 
look through this door and you can look out and see what scene you're at. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Wow. So, yeah. So, okay, work me through this. Mm-hmm. You get hired the first time in the role. So I guess if I'm breaking down your job, mm-hmm. you're a restaurant worker and they give you a zone. So those mm-hmm. three restaurants would be the zone that you would work in. So you'd get your schedule posted whenever from your manager and you go, okay, cool. I'm over here today. I'm over there tomorrow. I'm doing this one the next two days. But mm-hmm. you know, I was a bus boy once too. My first job ever was a bus boy. Friends of mine, um, their parents owned a, like a, a boat marina and there's a little restaurant there and I got a job washing dishes and being a bus boy. And I felt a little embarrassed of that job, but I was around rich people that already looked at me like a human turd anyway. So no big yeah. deal. And it, the, my friends weren't there. The first time that you're in your, you know, uh, cast member costume and you go out on stage as a bus boy, did you feel pride or did you feel a little conflicted, a little embarrassed? Like, I mean, cause if you had been there chasing girls and now you're taking old wet French fries and throwing them in an iced tea and stacking them in a bus tub, like <laughs> how was your ego at that moment? Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. We, our costume, we had to wear this little, um, little bow tie, oh, a pink, God, even pink worse. vest. Even worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Yeah. Uh, ego, uh, self-esteem down, down a little bit, down yeah. a notch. Yeah, I would say. I mean, <laughs> but, I love yeah, the park, I mean, and I've always wondered about that. Like, what is it like to be a cast member and to have one of the jobs that aren't glorious? You know, because you're just around all these people that are having fun. But yeah. if it did make you feel that way out of the gate, did you learn to? embrace it and sort of mature into it because that's also being um, a shame like that is a young person's mindset. And as you get older, you just find pride in everything that you do. Yeah, I think, I think exactly that. And, and also, uh, <laughs> you know, being a tw- at that time, I was probably 20 years old or something. And, and, you know, you'd girls would smile at me or something, you know, yeah. and then you're like, Oh, okay. There's something. Going on. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm still in a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. So you get granted access to slowly start seeing backstage. Mm-hmm. And if you love the park forever, if you're starting to become aware of its intricate design, you know, a lot of people might be turned off on seeing where the magic stops. Cause as I've seen photos or as I've been on attractions that have broken down, the magic stops where the guests sight line stop, right? Like it, the mm-hmm. backstage is a whole different animal uh, as far as, the colors, the textures, the way that it's put together. But I find it beautiful because that's the machine inside of the classic car, right? Like when you see a 57 Chevy, it's a work of art. But when the guy pops the hood and you see how it runs and what that old school mechanics look like, Mm -hmm. I love that aspect of Disneyland because a lot of that infrastructure, that's 65 year old infrastructure right now, you know, and it's got history built upon it. So when you started seeing that back in, did it look ugly to you or were you curious about it? Did you want to learn more about that back end? Oh yeah. I wanted to learn a lot more. Yeah. I kept going, what's over there? What? <laughs> I'd ask a lot of questions. Like, oh. what, what is that building? What is that? You know, <laughs> just amazing. It didn't, you know, some people said, Oh, did it ruin the magic? You know? And, I, and I'd say, no, it enhanced it. Because yeah. Then I understood the way things worked and just amazing. You know, Lynn, I think one of the moments that really made me double down on my love for the park is when I learned the magic trick of the berm that we're constantly, when we're on, you know, especially the Western side of Disneyland, Adventureland, New Orleans square, Critter country, we're constantly 
going in and out of Disneyland. Yeah. And when I learned that magic trick, you know, when I learned what the stretching room is doing or what that first fall on Pirates is really doing, I just thought to myself, this is the most amazingly designed place ever. And I learned that the more that I discovered the back end on how the machine was built, the more I had an appreciation for how flawless the guest facing part of the park is because there's so much interesting, creative um, problem solving that happens at Disneyland, but it never once sacrifices the guest experience. You never go on something and go, well, that's stupid. Why is that? They're like, well, that's the pole that holds up something else. Like you do something and it's amazing. Then one of your friends goes, by the way, did you know the stretching room is really taking you here? And you're like, Oh my Lord, the way they work yeah. that into the story, it blows your mind. Yeah, for sure. When, when I saw the, the maintenance room that's uh, for the Alice in Wonderland, Mr. Toad, how it's how those two rides are like stacked yeah. on top of each other. And then they got this little maintenance bay for the vehicles that are, and then Peter Pan too is on top. So it's like you got all these three vehicle maintenance bay for all the stuff. They're just all crammed in this little area. It's amazing. If they end up doing extensions from the Disneyland Ford plan, you know, that went out two weeks mm-hmm. ago, uh, they're going to have to get back to that stacked, you know, multi-purpose footprint, right? Where, yeah. you know, cause I, I threw up a thing in my video where it's like, you might park in an underground parking garage and later on that day, ride in a dark ride and have no idea that you're cruising above where your car is parked. And you might yeah. find yourself in a hotel bed later on that night and not even figure out that you're now in a bed above the attraction you rode that was above where your car is parked. <laughs> like they might have to get into that, that, you know, intense design that they did with that mm-hmm. area of fantasy land where they didn't have a huge footprint and all of that stuff is so interwoven. You know, the big problem with Tomorrowland is that the people mover pierces through everything in there and if you remove that then some of those buildings structurally get a little wacky so i i love how everything overlaps on top of each other so how long did you work in the food services for two years two years 93 yeah and then do you just leave disney well (laughs) they pushed me out the door (laughs) (laughs) so long story as you know as as a musician in a band i was i was also doing that and um that it was just more of a priority at the time I was playing parties and, yeah. you know, playing a bunch of gigs and stuff in LA and Hollywood. And so I, I had night shifts a lot, so I had to call in sick Okay, and I didn't realize on the, uh, so actually I, I was fired. <laughs> <laughs> so you were yeah. fired, but so the, the time that you go away, do you just double down on music or did you have to find another like secondary job because you weren't making enough of a music? Yeah, I, well, yeah, kind of a little bit of both. I I um, did a bunch of touring and stuff in a band, and that went on for about four or five years. And then when I came back from the last tour, um, I thought, I need to do something. I need to get – I love Disneyland. I miss it because we were just touring forever. And, yeah. Um, so I got an annual pass and just started hanging out there for a few weeks. And then my mom's like, you ought to just try to get a job there. I heard Custodio, you know, it's pretty stable and they always need people cleaning. So I'm like, all right. So I went down and asked for Custodio and uh, they said, well, we have a no uh, rehire status for you. Yeah. I said, oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so they said, what you can do is you can apply and put why you think we should rehire you. Mm. And 
I just said I was a dumb kid at the time. I was I was immature, <laughs> and I <laughs> didn't have honest. my priorities set. I was, yeah. I didn't have my priorities set straight. So um, they actually hired me into custodial in nineteen ninety eight. I tell you why I would rehire you based on that is that anybody in their thirties forties knows that right out of high school you do a lot of dumb things, oh, yeah. and somebody that has done the dumb things but then spent the time putting in the hours learning from those and reflecting back on that and can admit that they were dumb. That shows a sign of character and that's a more mature employee. So whoever hired you was actually quite brilliant on reading that. They probably laughed and go, I got to hire this guy. Like, how can I not? So the interesting thing about the band chapter in your life is, and I want to see if you can bond with me on this. So when you were touring, you were actually in the band. You were, you're a musician in the band. What did you play? Drummer. Drummer. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the drummer, you know, this moment when you're, you know, when you're playing a basement or a party, it's not, you, you kind of get cheated this moment, but when you get better and you're actually playing clubs and stuff like that, the best part about being in a band is the moment that you take the stage, right? Mm-hmm. It's the moment between the house music going down, the lights coming down, some sort of reaction from the crowd. You know, maybe you just hit that hi-hat four times and click in the guys or you click them in or you have intro music. But it's it's the taking the stage that was the most romantic part to me. And that happens at Disneyland on the hour. Like the best part about Fantasmic is when those lights go down and you anticipate it. Or the fireworks show when finally Main Street, you know, in just a few minutes, ladies and gentlemen, the lights Mm -hmm. on Main Street will dim. But when they dim, that I still feel that rush of getting ready to go out on stage because I would always have a microphone on a stand, center of the stage, and I'd let the band play through like the first half of the intro of the song, and then I would come out after them and just walking up and grabbing that microphone. That was what I lived for. I would spend all day long waiting for that 30-second walk, and I love at Disneyland just that anticipating the show, the lights go down, the crowds react, and then the show starts, and it takes me back to that moment in my life. Wow. You... I didn't realize that feeling. I got that exact feeling, you know, like you mentioned, fireworks, phantasmic, that sort of thing. And I didn't know why am I getting this feeling right now? And now I know why. It's because you did yeah. it. You lived it. Yeah. You know what it's like yeah. to be world of color. You were world of color once, right? Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. You, you know what it's like. So, yeah. okay. A custodian. I have a lot of respect for the custodian. In my years of, of Disneylanding, um, I have seen – your old position, you know, mm-hmm. you're doing the work that let's be honest, nobody wants to do. And I'm sure you've seen some gross stuff because when you're cleaning up people partying yeah. all day, you're going to see the worst part of humanity. But mm-hmm. what I've also seen people in your position do is you are the helpers of Disneyland because you guys are everywhere and gals are everywhere, emptying trash cans, sweeping up things, cleaning up things. You're the most accessible people to be like, uh, where's Splash Mountain at? Oh, just keep going past the haunted mansion and you can't miss it when you hear people screaming from a log. Like, did you enjoy that aspect of being friend to all as a custodian? Cause you're so accessible when you're in that white uh, outfit out in the park. Yeah. I think I was always kind of a shy guy. It's funny being a drummer, but that was probably why I played drums. Cause I was in the back, you know? Yeah. But um, actually I was a little bit shy at first, you know, people would come up and ask me and I was like, Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it just felt kind of funny, but I, I, I think it helped develop my skills as, you know, speaking skills and things just by being in front of, um, 
other people because you know you're on you're on stage you know yeah another type of stage but a big um, stage <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i love doing that i loved um helping people out and one of the best moments i had when someone asked me they said this is our first time here oh we I only have that. like a couple of hours because we got to get to this convention but what do you think we need to hit oh and i'm like ooh, what a dream yeah. what a dream I customer know. I know. And I'm like, Ooh, you gotta go on pirates, haunted mansion, Peter Pan. You know, I named all these, you know, a few attractions from each land where I thought they can get a good taste of Disneyland and definitely go on the train. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also love this about, you know, being somebody that's been hundreds of times, but someone like you that grew up in the park and, and worked there. When you see people that are lost and you know that you can take away all their anxiety by telling them the shortcut, or, you mm-hmm. know, here's what you want to do, ma'am. The parade's getting ready to start. So instead of going this way, go just go around Frontierland and you'll get to Fantasyland so much faster than trying to, you know, go the way that you know to go. Like helping people get that advantage or finding that shortcut and like taking your knowledge and passing it over to them. Yeah, yeah. I hear people that are lost all the time and I don't know what the rules are on talking to other guests, but when I feel like it's a good vibe, I'm like, Oh, you just want to walk straight ahead or like all the time in galaxy's edge. I'll tell a family that's getting ready to carry, you know, a stroller down the stairs. I'm like, Oh, Hey guys around the corner there, there's actually a, a, an accessibility ramp. You just can't see it. Cause it's around docking bay seven. I love helping people out <laughs> with that. And yeah. the thought of your job is that you're just kind of around all the time to help people do that. When I, you know, first moved out here, I became obsessed with the Mice Chat website. I know you guys used to have a relationship with them. And I saw two former custodians, two former janitors telling the story of Disneyland. How can this not be a great perspective to tell it from? Because you have been telling the Disney story to people in real time and small segments your entire career. Because every single day that both of you went to work, you probably got asked a hundred questions because most cast members are inside of a restaurant, inside of attraction, working in a parade. Like there's only so many plaid vests around to help people. You guys are the information desk on the front line. Yeah, for sure. And, and that, that was something that was somewhat new. I think they started doing that. Like, you know how they had the pouches with the maps in it and everything? Yeah, yeah. They didn't used to do that. They used to actually try to blend in more and not be there to – so that's when they changed it from just custodial to custodial guest services. Mm. So um, that's when they added the maps. I think that was probably sometime in the 90s sometime. But, yeah, I think that's that's really cool. I love having the maps, showing them where to go. Shortest pathway. Yeah. Just so cool. Yeah. So how long did you work as a a janitor there? Till 2007. And you got hired in 98, right? Mm -hmm. So a nine year run. Wow. Mm -hmm. Um, When you were working there all the time going in, how long did it take to where it didn't feel like Disneyland anymore? Like, did it, did it still feel special walking out on the stage in the ninth year or like, you know, after 18 months or so, does it sort of just become muscle memory and a little bit of that dissipates? Unfortunately it does. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then after you leave, you start to regain that again. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, you're working 40 hours a week plus there. It just, just becomes natural. And, and then with every job, not, not does Disneyland is not, um, 
without this is, uh, you know, politics, different men, 100% and stuff. It happens. And, uh, that can get to you too. Um, I've had many times where I left there going, what am I doing? You know? <laughs> well, I mean, Disneyland is prime for, you know, um, inner office politics because you have 30,000, uh, yeah. people working together. The, you know, we saw this with last year with COVID-19. Like you, you start to understand how the virus works. You can never understand how your racist uncle works, right? Like you can never yeah. get into the mind of other people. You know, yeah. scientifically we understand, well, wash your hands, put a mask on, do this, do this. Mm -hmm. But then you cannot argue with your aunt who's like, I don't no. care what anybody says. This is a conspiracy. And you're like, oh, what are we doing here? And with 30,000 <laughs> people trying to get Disneyland going, of course that's going to happen. And I understand what you're saying, Lynn. When I got hired to work for the Wonderground Gallery, I told my wife, I'm like, I want to do just enough projects to say that I did it, but then I want to dip out because I don't want to learn too much. I don't want to know too much. And I don't want to meet a couple of people that make it to go into Disneyland makes my skin crawl. Like, I don't want family to come out here from New York or Kentucky and be like, can we go to Disneyland? And we go, oh, I guess. Like, I want to be like, Hey, you guys want to go to Disneyland, right? Because I already bought you tickets. Like, we're going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to crush the park with you. So yeah. I totally, totally can understand that. But when you were thinking about leaving, was yeah. there a part of you that was thinking like, well, I kind of don't like the job anymore. I don't like the politics anymore. But had it become a part of your identity that you were afraid to let go? Because after interviewing hundreds of people, I've come to realize, myself included, a lot of us will stay at the party a little bit too long because we start to identify ourselves as that job, as that career. Mm -hmm. And you start to contemplate, well, who am I if I'm not this person? And that will make you do something that you resent maybe 12, 18 months too long. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. That, that exactly happened to me. And I think I, you know, my, my wife and I um, had a baby on the way and living in long beach, paying a lot of money for yep. a one bedroom apartment. Yep. And, she had family in Utah and we just thought, you know what? It's nice there. It's cheaper. Um, I just, we need to do it. So we did. And we moved here to St. George, Utah, but um, I, I missed it so much. And I started listening to podcasts. I think this is where you're heading. Um, I started listening to podcasts <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, it was actually Wedway radio. It was one of the first ones I started listening to. <clears throat> and I thought, man, that's really cool. Like I didn't know what podcasts were and that's kind of cool. I could listen to this work. Yeah, um, I do. I still currently am a custodian at a middle school here. So I can listen to podcasts all day. And then um, I reached out to Wedway Radio and said, Hey, I love your show. It's awesome. I used to work there. And they asked me to write a blog for their website. And next thing you know, I thought, you know what? I, I think I want to try doing a podcast. And I reached out to my friend, Ken, who I worked with Disneyland the whole time. He was there from 1990, actually, until 2005. And so we became friends and uh, had a, you know, because not everyone that works at Disneyland has a love for Disneyland. No, no, that's totally true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can see that a lot of people are just there because they have seniority. You know, you can mm -hmm, easily mm -hmm. tell the cast members that are there yeah. because they want to be and they love it. And you can also tell the other people that just life has them stuck there. And Ken, Ken really had that, you know, he, he just, he knew all the people behind the scenes and he had this, this great story about Tony Baxter that I don't know if you've heard it, but it's an amazing story and uh, how he met him as a, as a, a teenager and got to ride Splash Mountain like 
before it opened the public and all this. And oh, wow. That's how he knows Tony Baxter, Baxter. But, um, anyhow, so yeah, he was, he and I were good friends and we just started talking when, when he left for uh, different reasons, he had another job and stuff, but, um, more of a career job that he had been working for. Yeah. Um, and I moved to Utah and I asked him, Hey, you know, let's, do you want to do a show together? And he said, I can't commit to that. <laughs> I got a lot going on. I have two kids now. And I said, yeah. all right. So I asked a woman named um, Laura that um, I worked with and I knew she really um, enjoyed the history part of Disneyland. And she always talked about that stuff. So I asked her and we started the podcast together in um, 2011. And when you, started doing the podcast. I want to back up real quick though, before yeah, we get yeah. into the podcast. Uh, so when you leave the job and you go to Utah, right? Mm-hmm. You're born and raised in Southern California. So when you actually left California and moved to America, was that when you realized what an anomaly your whole life had been? Because brother, when I got out to California, I'm like, this is not like the rest of this country. Like I fell in love with it. Thrasher magazine had told me that I was going to love it. All the punk records that I bought told me I would love this place. And when I got out here, I'm like, it is the promised land. So when you went to Utah, what was the transition like of not being in SoCal, not having unlimited, like sunny days at your fingertips, but also you're now like, a guy who has to plan going to Disneyland, right? Like yep. there's mm-hmm. airfare and road trip and hotels and, and a babysitter or staying with the in-laws and making sure everything aligns. Like how far into Utah did you realize, Oh, I'm living a completely different life now. Not too long. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a month or so. And <laughs> luckily, quick. luckily where I am, I'm right on the board of Utah and um, I'm actually about five and a half hours from Disneyland. No, that's so. way closer than I would have imagined. Yeah, yeah, same here. So I'm just right off the 15th. So um, two hours from Vegas and then, you know, Vegas to Anaheim. But uh, so it's not too bad. And even then I was still able to go to Disneyland probably two, three times a year. Oh, that's great. I mean, that's uh, yeah. 200, 300% more times than when you were a child. So yeah. walk me through this. Mm-hmm. I understand you have a job. The charm of a job fades off. A place like Disneyland, a lot of politics, a lot of people. You and your wife want to go get a uh, a better life for yourself. Obviously, the cost of living in Utah, way different than living in Long Beach. You go out there, you reboot your life, you become a father and a family man. But what was it like when you came back home and you got to walk through the tunnel on the right? I can see in your eyes you're not a tunnel on the left creep. When you went through the tunnel on the right and you're back inside of the park, how did it feel coming back home? Wow. It was really weird. I think it took me a little while to adjust I bet. to becoming a guest again. Yeah. If that sounds weird, but yeah. No, obviously, I mean, when you're used to, you know, being able to like let yourself in here or there or to not have to, you know, buy an admission or do all these various things, like, you know, when you become a cast member, you open yourself up to certain amenities and certain powers, but also certain responsibilities and certain things that kind of ruin it. I would yeah. imagine that the transition and going back to like the gin pop would be kind of weird for a couple of visits. Yeah. And I missed it a lot. I, I still do, but I, I missed it a lot. I yeah. probably went more often right after we moved than, than I did recently, more recently. Fondness makes yeah. the heart grow closer, right? I mean, you 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 get away yeah. from something that you've kind of learned to resent a little bit, and you're like, man, I'm so stupid. Like, I remember I had this job 
where I fought so hard to get this job at this clothing store. It was kind of like Urban Outfitters before that was a national chain. It was like a, they were like in six different markets, a little store called Avalon. And I wanted to work there so bad because they had awesome clothes. Like everybody that worked there was cool. You know, like a lot of cool people worked there. I knew that there'd be a lot of cute girls that would shop there. And Mm -hmm. so I really, really wanted to work there and I bust my hump to get that job. But then there's this part of the human brain where once you get what you want, then you learn how to take it for granted. And it was the easiest job ever. But suddenly my boss would be like, yo, you have to sweep the floor. And I was like, oh, I can't Mm -hmm. believe I have to sweep the floor. And I got so lazy, so complacent. And I just became a brat. And then I quit went on tour and when i came back i was like can i get rehired and they're like no nah, we can't do it because i'd really become yeah. for the first time in my life i'd become a horrible employee so i go over to ups and i start loading planes and stuff uh while i'm waiting for a big tour to kick off and when i was inside that trailer in the hot weather and those boxers are just falling off the belt i'm like i am such an idiot all i used to have to do is go up to a woman and be like can i get you another size in that like what was i thinking man yeah and it was because i had something good i let it go i went a different path and that's when i realized how much i had made a mistake now i'm not Mm -hmm. saying that you had made a mistake but i am sort of insinuating that coming back to disneyland allowed you to realize how maybe by working there and being around in your whole life you had learned to take it for granted which is a totally human characteristic and something that would happen to any of us yep you're exactly right and that's when i became more in love with disneyland um after i i mean my my book collection grew (laughs) i have so many over here um yeah just almost to an obsession Hey, friends, I hope you're enjoying our conversation today with Lynn Barron of the Sweep Spot Podcast, the co-author of Cleaning the Kingdom. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. And if you are, could you please do me a favor? Could you share all the fun you're having with Disneyland for Designers on your favorite social media platform? Could you maybe leave a review wherever you're listening to today's show? Because both of these actions will help me do what I can't do on my own, grow the podcast out so more citizens of Disneyland Keep finding out about Disneyland for Designers and all the fun content that we're creating. The more people that listen, the more I get to make. So maybe it's a partnership and you could help me out and I would appreciate it. Speaking of partnerships, coming up in part two, exclusively available for members of Club 1313 over at club1313.com. Consider joining today if you can. We have part two where Lynn and I get even more into a story and really talk about the heart of Disneyland what it means to pay tribute to Walt and what this place means to the both of us. And I think you'll probably find a little bit of yourself in there as well. Not only when you become a member of club 1313, do you get to hear the full version of each and every podcast, but you get to be a part of exclusive community zoom calls where we get together and we hang out. So we had a zoom call on Monday and we all just talked about what are your ticket strategies? If you live local, when are you going to buy tickets? When are you coming back? If you live further away out of state, What is your idea of when you want to come back to the park? And it's just so much fun going around the room and hearing how everybody has their own strategy and how everybody's excited to get back in. And then yesterday on the 13th of the month, I always do a dedicated live stream for the members. We had a private live stream and get this uh, about 25, 30 of us. We just looked at all the different hubs of all the different Disney parks, judging their design, starting with, you know, the original classic here in Anaheim with Disneyland, but then looking all the way to the last one that was built five years ago in Shanghai. 
and just really looking at the design of the hub and just having a great time hanging out as friends. And speaking of that, tomorrow is ticket day. We're going to be in there tailgating and ticketing together, and it's going to be a great time. And it's going to be fun because it's going to be community. And when you have something big happening on the horizon with Disneyland, the rule is don't go in alone. So if you have the means, if you have the interest, if you want to support the content, head over to club1313.com. We would love to have you as a member of our community. What do you say we get started with part two, the exclusive content for members of Club 1313? And it begins right now at club1313.com. What is it about being a student of Disneyland where you already know the story, you already know about Westcott and why it didn't happen. But mm-hmm. if somebody takes the time to make a documentary on YouTube about it or to write a book about it, like you know the story. You know the players, oh, Eisner didn't or Eiger didn't want, Eisner didn't want to spend money and this that and the other and they didn't ask Anaheim for permission. You know all the beats, but there's something so seductive about sitting down and reading it and getting into like the mental escapism that is Disneyland. For sure. Yeah. Something it's hard to, I can't explain it. It's just, (laughs) I love just really hard to explain, but I, I just know that not my love is not just um, because I worked there. It has probably goes like you were saying all the way back to um, my childhood Yeah, and those memories. And I think that goes for a lot of people. I mean, that's why people want to ride on, you know, certain rides because they went on it with, you know, with their dad and they want to take their son on it and, you know, so on. Just And I think in many ways I understand because I'm the exact opposite because I didn't have this as a child. Yeah. When I go, I feel like I'm getting one over on society. Like when I first moved mm-hmm. out here and I would just be at Disneyland on a random Wednesday, I'm like, Look at all these jerks going to work, right? Like, like, look at all these people <laughs> yeah. my age that are doing things they don't want to do today. And I've somehow found myself in the, in the space within the means and within the desire to just go get lost at Disneyland for a day if I want to. And I really, really started to covet that. And I know that there's a lot of like, you know, arrested development in there or whatever, yeah. but I don't care if it makes the heart feel good. It makes the heart feel good. I didn't have the happiest childhood. I want to have the happiest adult life possible and going out there really fulfilled that. But, you know, talking about the books and stuff, you know, I got to go to college for a learning disability but there is something about the story of Disneyland that there's only been a couple of things I've ever been able to read and fully process. It was mm-hmm. punk rock, skateboarding, and now Disneyland. There is just something about how it's written. Maybe my brain cares enough that I can digest it, but I can yeah. sit down and read those old um, Dateline Disneyland articles that used to get posted late every Sunday, early Monday morning. And if it was one of those articles where they would break down future projects and future developments, I mm-hmm. would just sit and read it in silence and I didn't want it to end. And I'm normally the type of person I read the first three lines of, of a, of a paragraph and I go, this is too much. I'll just read the headline <laughs> and assume what it is. There's something <laughs> yeah. about it that just, I love consuming it. You know, that that's something when I first started listening to you, um, I thought, you know what, that's really unique. And it just, uh, it was really special because you, you fell in love with Disneyland as as an adult uh, later in life, and I and it just everyone I knew because I grew up in Southern California, right. mostly grew up going to Disneyland as a kid. But there was something about you discovering it, and um, just as an, as an older adult, that it's just I don't know, it's really intriguing. I like it. 
Well, I, I tell you what kind of makes it a different journey is that when I discovered it, I had already spent a lifelong career being in the entertainment industry and being right. in the world of art and design. So, you know, there's something special, I'm sure, about going there when you're a kid and it's all magical. But being an adult that had been really trained on what makes things work and to walk into the eyes of perfection and go, this is what I've been studying for my entire life. Like this yeah. is the music, the sights, the the dig or the design illusions. Like this is everything that I've loved my entire life manifested and materialized in one location. How can yeah. I not become obsessed with this? And I tell people all the time, people are like, Oh, Bricky, are you gonna are you gonna cover Universal Studios? Are you gonna go out to Knott's Bray Farms? And I'm like, whoa, 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 slick. I'm not a Disney movie guy. <laughs> I'm not a theme park guy. I'm a Disneyland guy. I yeah. love Disneyland in particular. You know, when I went to Paris, beautiful park, so many of Tony Baxter's ideas were put together that didn't work in the footprint of Disneyland, but it just didn't have that same magic that, that this park has and, and that um, way that it, it seduced me into falling in love with it. So when you get into podcasting, and telling the story of Disneyland, did that kind of make you go back in your mind and realize just how important this thing had been to you your whole life and how you had been a part of it? Like, did it make you sort of look at certain parts of your life and be like, whoa, I kind of took that for granted or, whoa, I'm blessed to have experienced all these things. Yeah, I'd say both, actually. Yeah. Um, and, and podcasting was kind of scary because I'm not the greatest speaker I have a hard time uh, coming up with words to explain certain things that are going on in my head. Yeah. Um, I don't have the best vocabulary, I would guess I would say. And kind of like you, I had a learning disability um, and was able to overcome some things with that. But um, podcasting was scary. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter how how good I am at speaking. I don't need to be the hey, radio voice. Yeah, well, people don't like that anyways. <laughs> in podcasting, people like to hear just a conversation between buds. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter because my passion will come out. Yes. And that's that's what people want to hear. So. And you also had a competitive edge in that you had mm -hmm. experience. You had access. You had all of yeah. these stories and a perspective that other people don't have because you would put your time in. And also, you've been fired by Disney. Like, I mean, what, <laughs> what a cool thing to have in your podcasting resume that you could be, you know, one of the bad boys of Disney podcasting. Like, I absolutely love that. <laughs> Something that I'm fascinated to ask you. And I mm -hmm. wanted to not go too deep into this, but you threw this out at me. Now I have to know. Oh, I don't mind. <laughs> what is grosser, cleaning a middle school or cleaning Disneyland? Like, I'm sure you have a high threshold on when you go, Bleh! but I would love to know, out of the moments in your career in the custodial arts, where have you seen the bigger human disasters, the park or at the middle school? Park. For sure, Whoa. for sure, the park. You have no idea. I, I don't. I don't think you want me to tell you this on there, but there is some stuff. I think really, that person is not well. Oh, you must <laughs> see things all the time. Like, there's no way they made it home tonight. They had to have died somewhere on the five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People will really push their human body to the outer limits, and unfortunately, uh, a poor soul like you has to come up behind it and clean it. When you were working the park, did they assign you to a various territory? Or, you know, when you would come in, would you look at the schedule and be like, oh, I'm cleaning in Adventureland? Like, how does that part of the job work? 
But at the time they had schedules that would say like Adventureland nine to five thirty. Okay. And then then you'd show up at Adventureland. They would they have designated areas for each area in the park, and you'd show up to that area. There'd be a lead there. And I did become a lead later, um, but there'd be a lead there and they'd have a clipboard and they'd have designated assignments within it. It was called Adventure Frontier. So it was actually both areas, but right. you might have trash. And that was all you did is you went around to all the trash cans and dumped them on a cycle all day. Or you might be the one cleaning the lines. You just go through the lines and sweep so that you'd be designated to each you know, certain job in that area. So which land did you prefer to get? Like when you looked at your schedule, like, yes, I'm in this land. What, what was that land that you wanted to work at? New Orleans critter country was my favorite. Why is that? I mean, they're beautiful, but why, why is that from a custodial perspective? Oh, not, I guess I didn't pick it as a, from a custodial. It's more of just the environment. Yeah. I, I, cause I enjoy music. I jazz is, I didn't play jazz as a musician, but I enjoy jazz a lot. And, uh, you know, over New Orleans, I always get to see musicians and it's cool. The thing that is so cool about New Orleans square is that it released with no attraction. Pirates wasn't ready. You know, we know how long it took for the haunted mansion to come about. So it was literally just like, Hey, we rebuilt another part of America for you folks, because everybody wasn't jumping on an airplane and zigzagging across America. It was a lot like last year. So yeah. it's, it's fascinating in that way. But what I love about it is how it broke the singular vision of main street, USA, main street, USA, we're coming in and we're navigating to the hub. The fact that New Orleans square has so many different intersections where the roads come together and little cross streets, when you mm -hmm. get embedded in that thing, it doesn't feel like you're in a theme park. Like you no. really feel like you're in a little small city. And I will always love that uh, part of the park for that. And I had predicted and dreamed when I saw the model of Batu at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, I said, this is going to be re referenced after New Orleans Square. And I'm here for it because I love when you can kind of get lost in a land and mm -hmm. only see the perimeters of that land and nothing else around you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that just I liked all the trees. Yeah, just everything about it. Just the art, the art of the building, the way the architecture was. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it was that that really drove me to that. Just those things, I guess. But the area itself was was crazy to work because you had Fantasmic in the summer. Yeah, and you you were a part of that cleanup. Um, all right, everybody gets up and they've been sitting on the ground. They've been hanging out for hours to get their spot, and then as soon as it's up. Or as soon as it's over, they're up and they just leave that human trace behind them. And <laughs> here you have to come and, and yeah. uh, sweep it up. Yeah, the the New Orleans Square, it's the I think it's the height of the buildings. I think it's all the balconies and all the little details that they put in there. But you said it earlier. It's just it's a land that has its own signature soundtrack, too. Right. So mm -hmm. just hearing that jazz. And it's one of my favorite parts in the park is uh, Magnolia Park near that you know by the fountain there like oh, yeah. over to the side where you can hear Walt's speech over at the train station like that is one of my favorite spots to just hang in the park oh yeah so seeing Fantasmic every night being around when that's happening in the background is that not the best soundtrack or what it I is, think Fantasmic's yeah. the best nighttime show at the park oh yeah for sure yeah just the music alone is amazing and, and the way that they can somehow sneak a pirate ship 
into hundreds of people and nobody sees it. I mean, I when that cannonball goes off and you just see everybody jump, it's one of the best, uh, you know, magic oh, tricks yeah. that they do. Yeah, I love taking someone for the first time to do that, and you, they don't they don't see it coming, but you know it's coming. Oh yeah, uh, right. You're looking at them. Like, <laughs> <laughs> also, too, you know, at the end when the Maleficent, you know, lights the uh, the river on fire there as the as the the, the dragon, they have no idea, because you know the the beauty of that show is when they're showing something in the foreground, they're building something in the background. When they're mm-hmm. doing something in the background, they're queuing up something for the foreground. And so the fact that they just keep going back and forth with those two playing, it's just so exhilarating that your mind just, you know, refills itself every time you're playing. 